What's up, you community of family? Vladimir Prognivsky here, and welcome to episode number 52 of the Comedia Podcast, where I serve you Comedia family with weekly interviews from highly creative people. Today's guest is In Paget. In is an award-winning graphic designer from Manchester, UK. He's best known as Logo Geek, and through Logo Geek, In designs logos for companies of all sizes. He writes a blog, he's a podcast host and the manager of an active social media community for logo designers around the world. He has been featured in a lot of publications like Creative Blog, Entrepreneur, 99U, Photoshop Creative, and the list goes on and on. In, welcome to the show. Feel free to fill in the gaps from the intro and share something interesting about yourself that most people don't know. Yeah, sure. So I'm thinking to expand on something that you said because um, I, I think it's worth being transparent that even though I'm known as Logo Geek, that is actually only a part-time venture at the moment. I, I do work as a design director for a web agency. So I've, aside from the logo design work, I've also got a lot of experience with print design, web design, e-commerce, you know, things like conversion rates. So you do it all. Uh, huh? Yeah, yeah, pretty much everything. So, I mean, that's, that's, where my career has gone I've I've been in these positions where I've kind of done a little bit of everything so yeah Logo Geek is part-time but it is my main focus and, and my passion and it's what I put a lot of time into as for sharing something about myself that a lot of people I was about don't to say yeah. <laughs> um so I've been thinking about this question because so that listeners are aware I I didn't know this question was coming and I kind of wrote down lots of ideas so I'm like should I say something maybe about nice I collect autographs so um I've I've met lots of casts from films like Lord of the Rings I collect pop figures and sweet. toys and stuff like that I am a geek you know <laughs> kind of like where that came <laughs> from originally um but as for one story that would probably be quite interesting I don't think I would have the career I do if I didn't have a moped accident when I was about 21. Oh. And you're probably going to ask I, 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 I need to hear details. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I want to hear the details, man. Yeah, so when I was 16, I had a moped. And um, the first job that I got out of college, because I, I didn't go to university, so I didn't have any graphic design experience at that time, but I needed uh, a job. And I, I found a job at a print finishing company, so it wasn't the graphic design side, it was the like the the production side of it. So it was the side where, you know, you're taking the printed material and you're encapsulating things and cutting it out, you know, using knives and sort of stuff to build these exhibition stands. So I found that job and I thought that's kind of relevant to what I want to do. I'm going to take that route and see what happens. I thought maybe if I start in that, I could become a graphic designer one day. But that was that was about 15 miles away from where I lived. Um, so at that time, I lived with my uh, parents. I would drive my moped every single day, whether it was snow, ice, rain, wind, <laughs> pretty much rode it every day. So it's about 15 miles away. So on that little thing, it was you could only go what, 30 miles per hour. It's a tiny little <laughs> right. moped. So I had this journey that I needed to make every single day. But one day I came home and uh, I got to a roundabout, went round and roundabout and a car pulled out, didn't see me. I had no other choice but to smash into the side of that car. <laughs> Ouch. So, yeah, I just remember the split second, like, I can't go that way, can't go that way, hit the side, flew over the top of the car and um, my bike was trashed. <laughs> it just crumbled up on the floor and... Uh, I didn't feel comfortable to ride a bike at that time. So how was I going to get to work? <laughs> and for a number of weeks, I was lucky enough that one of the guys that worked there, he lived near me and he came and picked me up. But obviously that's not ideal. So I needed to quit my first job, which was as a print finisher and find something else desperately, <laughs> you know, because I, I just couldn't get to work because that was my only mode of transport at that time. There was no buses or anything else that would go there. So I quit my job and I spoke to one of my friends and he worked at this warehouse, which was just 10 minutes walk from where I lived. So I could walk to work. It was nice and easy. It wasn't what I wanted to do, but I thought, you know what? It's a job. It keeps me going for now and I'll look for something else. And um, 
I had the interview and because I was kind of working at this other place still, I had my interview probably about 6 p.m. So everyone had gone home and I had my interview with uh, one of the more senior directors of the company. And even though it was a warehouse job, I was quite open that I want would like to be a graphic designer. And when they asked me the reason why I made up some answer because I didn't really want the job, I said something like, <laughs> it would be good team building. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it'd be good to work in a team. You know, I made up some response and I, I remember she was writing down notes and I'm so glad that I said what I wanted to do because I was in that warehouse job for, um, it was about six months. And I remember at that time, I, I kind of poo-pooed that job. I thought it wasn't going to be a good job, but I actually enjoyed that job. It was hard work and the people that are in those positions work really hard. And that right. the knowledge that I gained from that job has been actually quite fundamental to some of the stuff that I've been doing now at the e-commerce company that I work at, because I've seen both sides of it. But after about six months of being in that job, the company owner come down and speak to me and he basically asked me, Ian, I understand that you're good at drawing. And I'm like, yeah. And he just said, okay, <laughs> and I walked off. And um, uh, later in that day, uh, one of the people came down from the office and they asked to speak to me. They took me up there and they basically gave me this, uh, offered me this uh, trial period in the office. And that was an office-based job, but a small percentage of it was graphic design. And at that time I had absolutely no experience with computers but it was the opportunity that I needed to be able to find out because they had they had Macs. I never touched a Mac before that time. They had Quark Express. They had Illustrator. They had Photoshop. You know, they had um, the software the needed. Stuff. And then I just remember just like asking the people there, like, how do you do that? How do you? And I just kept asking questions. And because I was I was a very shy kid, I was, what, 19, 20 at that time. Anytime the phone rang, I wanted to be sick because I didn't want to pick it up. So I was rubbish <laughs> on the phone. Because I was rubbish at most things, but good at the graphic design stuff, the two people in that team would basically give me stuff that I could do, which was all the posters, the graphic design stuff. So that 10% became, over a period of time, pretty much 100%, I was just doing graphic design stuff. And... I honestly don't think that opportunity would have came up if I didn't have that moped accident because I don't know how any other way that I would have became a graphic designer if it, if it wasn't for that opportunity that came up in that job that I only got because I needed something. So, you know, mm. <laughs> it's funny how these things happen, but, you know, these sometimes moments can happen in your life that can completely change your uh, future if i if i didn't get that job i wouldn't have learned the skills i have now i wouldn't have built up the body of work that i did to get the job i have now that created director job i wouldn't have learned the tools to build to start learning logo design and stuff like that I, I probably would have still took some kind of creative route in the end but it wouldn't surprise me if i ended up working in something like i don't know building job or an off uh, an admin based job you know it, it could so easily have just ended up totally differently if i didn't have that accident at that time <laughs> no it's interesting how it works out sometimes yeah life. It I, mean, is. I hear stories <laughs> like that all the time i actually have a, a lawyer friend my mentor he, he shared a story about who there was a lawyer in in the virginia i believe he was practicing yeah. law and he, he was kept losing and he said look if i lose this case then I'm going to do something totally different. And uh, sure enough, he lost that case. And then he just started the cold business and then became a billionaire. So it was just kind of oh. like something so negative led to something yeah, yeah. positive. Now, I wanna... Yeah, I think that's the best way to look at it. <laughs> no, it, it really is because there's definitely light and darkness where you can find something positive out of what you're going through and you can channel that energy. And I want to circle back to something you said about the sure. bike accident. Did you get hurt? I was lucky enough that I just stood up from it that I did dent that car. My bike got shattered into pieces. I smashed the glass on the window and I'm very lucky that I just stood up from it. I mean, obviously I had my all the protection I was wearing. So I, I had a, a helmet that had a huge scratch. Oh, I see, I see. Um, the, the jacket I had that was all scuffed all right down the shoulder and, and the back. Uh, my gloves were shredded. 
but yeah i did have a huge bruise the next day like the the whole one side of my body was bruised but apart from that no broken bones no Man, that's good flesh wounds <laughs> you know i was i just stood up and yeah it's crazy that you can hit the side of a car at 30 miles per hour and just stand up from it <laughs> right did your life flash before your eyes <laughs> well it did I, I it was it was one of those moments when it's like everything kind of went slow motion and it was yeah it's funny how you know in these films they show you these these clips right it everything does, slows down and then it is kind yeah. of like that <laughs> and uh yeah you do feel everything when you <laughs> scary stuff <laughs> now and uh your journey is interesting because you don't have like a formal education right you didn't no, go I to don't. college you're 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 kind of went through the school of hard knocks and you yeah. started out in this so in this print shop right as a print finisher yeah now and you, you said, you mentioned it, that uh, that it helped you later in life. And it's amazing because a lot of times people say to me like, well, Vlad, I've been doing this for so many years. I can't transition into that area. But you can carry over, you know, the lessons you learn from yeah. other areas and bring them over to like graphic design and yeah. thrive in that area. Would you agree with that? Well, yeah, I agree because I know in my first job, which was print finish job, I needed to learn the material, the stock, how things were put together. I understood the the speed so now when i need to order any exhibition materials which i do i know the material i know the stock i can speak to the print company in the lingo that they speak i know the materials right, right. i know exactly what i need to order and also there's the added added benefit of i know how long things take <laughs> so when they say it's going to be a week i know for a fact that if i send that stuff to them in the morning they can get it back to me by the end of that day which has been a lifesaver uh, knowing you, you know having that inside knowledge and that warehouse job i mentioned the web agency i, I work at part-time now they build ems systems so at the back of the website there's a like a content management system and that would have a warehouse module in it so that people can pick pack the orders now i was a picker picker and packer and i had to work in the warehouse so i know how warehouses are structured how picker and packers work how all the stuff is stored and stocked within that warehouse and having that knowledge that's really useful for when you are building a system for that because I'm able to say, no, no, this has to be different because they don't pick and pack that way. That's not how they do it. You know, all of that information that I learned then in that job that I thought was just, you know, just to keep me going for a few months, that information from that time has been really, really useful for my current position. So, yeah, I mean, any opportunity that kind of comes along, it, it all contributes. I know Steve Jobs, he he wouldn't have built the fonts into the Macintosh if when he was at college, he didn't kind of mess around a bit and take these typography classes at That's right. university. Yeah. And, you know, if it wasn't for him doing that at that time, we probably wouldn't have a lot of the software and stuff that we have today. So you kind of have to look at all of these opportunities, whether they're good or bad, whatever happens in your life, it's all going to contribute in some way to something later on so yeah all that information is useful <laughs> definitely now logo geek how did that come about okay so as i mentioned i've worked for a, a couple of different companies as a graphic designer because i'm self-taught primarily I've, I've had a couple of lessons with different people one-on-one -on -one, but predominantly self-taught so what i've always tried to do since i got my very first job is learn and practice at home so when i first started i would spend time at home just finding tutorials and sitting down watching them and doing what i can to learn more at home and that's always pushed me to kind of start my own projects uh, like self-initiated self projects so when i first started out myspace isn't around now but back you know when i started out there were loads of bands on on there so i used to do like free cd covers or logos or whatever just to practice it was basically to practice i did it for free um but yeah I, I did a lot of side projects so i've done everything from like cd covers to movie posters i've done some like iphone games and stuff like that and there's probably the iphone game that was uh, a big thing so I got to know these 
animators um, because they they used to do a course um, which was called Media Circus. So they would basically get these kids in and uh, with the children, they would build games or movies or whatever they wanted to. And because I, I, I love that type of thing and I wanted to learn from them, I used to go and volunteer. And I got to know the guys that founded that and they started to build apps and games. And early on, I kept saying to them, I really want to get involved in this if I can. So I used to show them some of the stuff that I was doing and um, I started doing some background, some bits for them, and then we ended up building an, an entire game together. But because I was working consistently on this thing over a number of years, like some of those game projects are very complicated. They take a long time to build. I got used to working at home in my free time. And after building this one game, we built this game called Goohoo, which is about this stretchy blob of goo um, that you could flick around inside robots to to kill them after working on that for a number of years i was tired i didn't i didn't want to do any more uh, side projects i wanted to focus on just work and then free time was free time and i think a few weeks passed and i'm like i really want to work on something and um, i was speaking to one of my friends at that time and they said ian you're good at logo design why don't you do that so i thought that's actually a good idea because I think what I was exhausted with the the game project is that it was a very long-term invested project and you have to spend a lot of time on it. But something like a logo design, you could work on it for a couple of weeks and then choose to work on another one or not. So it seemed like a really practical solution. And at that time, I hadn't done much logo design, but I've done a lot of illustration work and I quite enjoy the technical aspect of work. So working with e-commerce I've always actually been more interested in how do you increase conversion rates and you know the the structural side of things rather than the actual creator side and logo design seemed like a good way of kind of like crossing the bridges on all of these things I liked and so at that time I decided okay I'm just going to set up a website and I'm going to start kind of offering this to friends and family and just you know do these things for fun maybe I could you know, go to Comic Con or something and go around to the stands and go, oh, do you need a logo for your business? And I could do it free. I, I just thought it would be a fun hobby. Right. So I needed a website. Um, oh, I thought it'd be good to have a website because I could put up a few examples of what I've done and anything I learn, I could start writing about it. So I wrote down a list of domains and this was before there was all these new URLs. So there was literally only .co.uk or .com and there was nothing there. I, I remember just searching through hundreds and hundreds of things and I eventually got to Logo Geek and I literally thought that it's not going to be there. And <laughs> the .co.uk was available, which I, I didn't expect. <laughs> and I thought oh. I'm fed up for searching. I'm not sure if that's right, but I'm just going to register it anyway because it doesn't cost much to register a .co.uk is what, like $7 a year. So I thought, I'm just going to register that. And I threw together a really basic website. It had sloppy content with spelling mistakes. Um, <laughs> it had some rubbish work that I've done because I couldn't put any of the work that I'd done at the agency I work at. I just had to put what I had. So I cobbled all this stuff together. It looked rubbish, but it was just for me. I thought, no one's ever going to see this. And... Um, yeah, I just kept working on it now and again and started doing logo design for friends and family. I got some like quite low value projects. Um, so I, I was able to make some money, but it was the day when I actually got a real inquiry from someone. Someone actually found my website that I didn't know. <laughs> that was what changed everything because it made me realize that I can actually make some extra money that could pay for things like holidays or games consoles or whatever you know something that could be fun and uh it kind of all stemmed from there really and it's been quite an organic process like I, I keep building on it so whenever i get like half an hour spare or an hour spare or if i got um, a holiday and i've got some free time i'll just spend some time writing a blog post or whatever but i, I think what really kind of helped push the growth was when I started posting on social media because I started posting daily and posting daily on social media just meant the following was growing and then I felt a commitment to the audience. I started buying more books, learning more about logo design. 
and um yeah just gradually just improving everything and building on everything and that's literally where logo geek has come from i i never expected it to to be anything but here today it is my main source of income and um i feel like it like it's crazy because i'm now like on page one two in the uk for like the generic term logo design which is un- unimaginable because it's above all design agencies in the uk <laughs> the wow. only people that i'm struggling to compete with is like 99 designs and these you know these companies that are specialist logo design companies that have the resource to to actually do these things properly but yeah just doing it part-time i got really good positions on google on twitter it's at like ninety-three thousand followers That's crazy, man. um i'm building up a community i've got a podcast i've got clients like i get probably about 10 new inquiries every single day it's just crazy i built this business that's my main source of income by just doing (laughs) something for fun (laughs) i just find it insane that's how it usually happens right you start doing something for fun and then all these doors start opening man that's crazy and then so you started when did you start your podcast um the podcast as it is today so the interview series i started that about a year and a half ago it's probably just over a year ago. It's not that long ago. And wh- why did you just start the podcast? What, what um, uh, prompted so, you to Well, I actually, I, I did actually have the podcast a, a few years back and those episodes are no longer online. They were a different format. They were literally me reading out a blog post, basically. They were really bad. So the, the reason why I actually started those because around that time, this is about five years ago, I've suffered from anxiety so I, I I had a number of problems that were developing as I got into work so there were things like stuttering so I had really bad stuttering at work like whilst I was at school and college and stuff like that I didn't really see it as a problem because I could just avoid words that I stuttered on but when I got into words there was people's names I couldn't say there was different it was just embarrassing I couldn't even say like couldn't say my girlfriend's name at that time. I couldn't say what job I did. I just stuttered and uh, I had problems. And also I had issues with shaking. So it, say in, a, in an environment where, uh, for example, you would have to drink champagne to toast somebody, I'm there and my hand is shaking and I can't toast. I just have to put the glass down because I'm going to drop it on the floor. So I had a number of problems like this. I I think the one thing that kind of made me realize I I need to get help for this is when I had, I was around a table, we had soup and it was the runniest, wateriest soup. And I mean, it's a really nice homemade soup, but it was like liquid and I had to use the spoon and pick the spoon and put it in my mouth. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but my hand shook and I like, getting more and more anxious because I'm aware that I'm shaking. I'm just literally spilling wow. it all over the place. It's just the most humiliating thing. So um, I realized that I had a problem and I thought maybe these things are all associated. So I actually had, I was diagnosed with social anxiety disorder and I had therapy. And I um, there's this therapy that I took where um, it's called CBT and basically um, in order to overcome certain fears, you basically have to expose yourself to them because you can change your thoughts and actions and, and behavior. They're all linked. So to try and help with the stuttering, I thought, I'm wondering if there's some way where I can comfortably put myself in a situation like this so that I could practice and overcome this. And I found podcasting was a really useful way for doing that because <laughs> the moment you hit the You're record brave. button, I get that same um, gut sickness feeling <laughs> that I would get if I was doing a, a presentation in front of a group of people. So it's not on those episodes aren't online now, but what I did is I just got a microphone, I put it down, I set it up and I, I wrote down a script and I basically sat down and I recorded it and I struggled so much like to, to say some words. I put words in there that I know that I would stutter on and I just kept going and that helped me to overcome the stutter I had. It's still, I still have it a little bit, but it's nowhere near as bad as what it was. And yeah, when I started to do the interview series, uh, there's, there's more to this, but 
the the primary reason is just to help me with my speaking and presenting and growing in confidence so that's literally the primary reason why I actually started podcasting originally was just a help overcome anxiety <laughs> <laughs> you're brave man most people will run away from their problems but you're kind of like a firefighter just running in the fire not, while everyone else is running away well it was it was it was helpful speaking to a therapist because they like i mean first of all if anyone has never been to a therapist you kind of imagine that you're going to be laid down on a bed and they're going to be like tell right. me about <laughs> your mother it's not like yeah. that like they you know how you go to the doctor if you broke your ankle? Mm-hmm. Mental health is exactly the same. Everyone is human. And at some point in everyone's life, they would have some kind of mental health problem. It's very, very common and it's very normal to so have true. mental health problems. So going to see someone, they just literally explained to me that fear is normal. It's an animal instinct. It's It's something that stemmed as a reaction to like when we was mammals it it kind of stemmed from mammals you know if say you was to run towards a crocodile and that crocodile snapped at you it makes sense that your brain would react in a way so they would program you to avoid that situation and that's basically where fear has has come from so in my case as a young kid i remember having to do a uh, a pantomime in front of all the parents and I just remember this I do remember the exact moment when I needed to stand on stage and say come and get your oranges lovely juicy oranges come and get your oranges six for 50 pence I remember that exact moment when I had that first fear and because I was avoiding it when you avoid the situation it gets worse and worse and basically the the therapist explained all of this he's showing me that this arc builds up so people that have phobias or spiders or whatever by avoiding that situation, the arc is getting worse. So for me, spending you know 20 years of my life avoiding those situations, it just gets worse. But the way that you overcome that is you have to expose yourself to that in some way and reduce that arc. So each time you hack away at that, the arc becomes less and less. And you can actually properly overcome any fear if you use the therapy called cognitive behavioral therapy is really interesting but the the moment that you understand how fear works you are kind of unstoppable and it's it's funny knowing that and um i i think for me what's also uh pushed me to kind of overcome it is also and i'm going to get really personal here my mum died a couple of years back and she had uh, d- d- dementia so she was in a care home and she slowly started to lose her memory and uh being in the care home and seeing the people at the end of their life it kind of gets you to think about things like what gary v always says you know that you're going to die one day i know it's not very nice to hear that but that is the Mm. the reality that we face and I, i thought i i don't believe in the existence of god i believe that this is you know you've got one chance at this and um kind of thinking in that way it's like if i was 85 And I looked back on my life and I never made an effort to overcome any of my fears or try anything that I would probably regret it. And I I have this choice. Would I rather regret not doing something or would I rather just try and fail and at least accept that I gave it my best shot? So with anything, I, I really try to just accept that do I want to regret this or no? So I I have this weird way of imagining. I imagine that I'm 85, that I've got loads of regrets and I can get in my time machine. And the way that the time machine works is that you think really hard and you memorize a specific moment in your life and you can travel back in that. But the moment you travel back, you can't remember anything from the future. So I'm a time traveler. <laughs> so um, yeah, so you can get to those moments when it's like, uh, say if someone asks you, Ian, do you want to be on my podcast? The old me would say, no, I, I don't really want to do that type of thing. Or the thinking in, it, in this way, I could think, you know what? Yeah, why not? <laughs> um, so I I tried to think in this way and I find that that's really helped me to, you know, do so many things over the last few years. 
And the pain of regret is always worse. Oh yeah, exactly. I'd rather, I'd literally rather say yes to things and it go wrong than to say no and, and regret it. No, for sure. Like I said, I, I believe that we only live once and if you don't do it, you're, you, if you leave it until you're 80, it's too late. <laughs> you have to do it now. So it's, it's any fear that you have, anyone that's listening that has any ounce of fear or there's anything that they want to do or they feel that they need to do, just, just do it. Just fight through that because the, the benefits are better. Definitely. You know, same thing for me with the podcast, you know, I moved to this, I was telling you earlier, I moved to this country at 12 years old, didn't speak the language. And the same thing I was, I did not want to be that guy with a huge accent who has to, you know, go to the store and for Espanol, press, you know, no more threats, whatever. (laughs) I didn't want to be that guy. So I made a promise to myself. I was like, so what can I do? So instead of most people that move to the United States that I know, they always like run away from being around English speaking people. They're like, well, we don't understand them. So they, they always try to be with you know, their crowds, but that's the yeah. worst thing you can do. So instead I it decided is. to get a yeah. job waiting tables, This you know, where I was a server and I was forced to speak all, you know, all day long. That was my job. And so the, and same thing with this podcast, you know, I started cause I still was like, man, I, I'm terrible at speaking. So I want to yeah. get better at it and I'm still not there yet. You know, I'm not in, I wish I sounded British. <laughs> no, you sound good. <laughs> when I listen, it sounds really good. Well, appreciate it. Now, speaking of, of podcasts, how, how did yeah. your first episode go? I, I bet it was scary. Okay. So my first episode, I've never interviewed anyone. I'm not that great at actually having a conversation. I know I'm being interviewed I don't believe now it. and I'm talking. But, <laughs> but yeah, I started booking in interviews and my first ever guest was Aaron Draplin. <laughs> and um, massive fan of Aaron big fanboy so getting it to get him on is a big deal and um yeah so I, i never interviewed anyone at that time and i was using the software we're actually speaking on now uh zencaster so i sent the link over to aaron and when the time came for the actual interview he emailed back saying is this damn thing working (laughs) he could not hear me nothing was working and i'm like ouch oh dear god <laughs> okay let's I bet get you were anxious. skype yeah i was i i mean it didn't I, help right just just to be transparent <laughs> i was absolutely terrified with the first interview like i said i do have anxiety so literally leading up to the interview i'm like feeling really sick keep going to the toilet i'm just <laughs> stressing out sweating oh, man. wanting to throw up i felt really nervous already and that didn't help so my heart's racing and um yeah so thankfully aaron is amazing he's the most amazing guy ever very supportive (laughs) even though he's a big name he is one of us he's the same as us if things go wrong for him too so he's obviously done this before so he was ready for it so he opened up we opened up skype we got connected on skype and he said do you want me to record this and i'm so glad he did (laughs) and um i think the first question i asked him I started talking about the weather. I'm like, no, I didn't have any questions ready. I had no, I think I had a rough outline, but it just went so horribly wrong. And anytime I asked Aaron a question, it went totally in a different direction. Like, so I'd ask him about his sketchbook work. He'll answer that in like a minute and then just keep going. And he's, I love Aaron and it's why everyone loves him, but he does go completely off topic and uh, <laughs> kind of derail the oh, whole man. conversation. But thankfully he was happy to just keep chatting. So even though the internet, I had internet connections issues as well, it cut off halfway through. And Ouch. But thankfully he recorded all his stuff. We had some really good bits. We spoke for about two hours oh, and at the end of the recording he sent over and it was a disaster. And I thought, don't want to do any more of these. But it made me realize, okay, I have to finish this season one because I was able to get a sponsor early on because of my numbers on social media. And um, yeah, I just kept going, but I just learned from that moment on that I have to prepare, I have to plan, I have to make sure to have some kind of structure. But yeah, that that interview with Aaron Draplin, I fabricated the entire conversation. <laughs> I basically listened to the two hours worth of audio. I cut out all the good bits that Aaron said 
and then I knotted together the bits that kind of made sense and I made an episode out of it but the actual recording of it was awful and thankfully because I've gone through the experience from now on it all goes well (laughs) now what about your second interview after that like I'm sure you still had anxiety post-traumatic stress disorder I think the second one was with Christo and Chris Chris is an amazing speaker so he came on and he's the type of person that you can just probably only get like three questions in and he'll answer them all in detail and it's all amazing information but even then (laughs) and i know you was worried about this at the beginning i forgot to press record (laughs) so like there's like two minutes and i'm like i do not want to tell chris though that i didn't record (laughs) so So i quickly i just quickly pressed record and I thought, let's just carry on like nothing happened. <laughs> and um, yeah, the it turned out that actually the first question I asked him, it was quite out of context of the rest of the conversation. So with so that one, out. I just basically cut out that first question. It worked out nicely. We just like literally that interview with him, we cut straight into the um, information about increasing your prices and it just made for a much more compact episode so it worked out in the end so again i literally have a note down every single time that i must record so i I just basically found with each interview something's probably going to go wrong and you just learn from that experience and you you just keep Mm. improving it oh man what a journey (laughs) and you know most people think that interviewing people is so easy i mean you just keep no it's not going it's It's not not at all I, I had one, another one where, um, right, so I've, I've gone through the experience with Aaron Draplin when I wasn't prepared. The next one, Chris is a good speaker, he's a good communicator, so I can have like right. four or five questions and that's going to be enough for an hour. And then the next episode was with someone that wasn't a confident speaker and I had maybe 10 questions written down and we got through those 10 questions in 15 minutes and the entire time i am just thinking i don't have any more questions to ask what am i going to say <laughs> ouch uh, yeah so it's so not what did easy you do then? it's um <laughs> i just kept writing things down as they was talking mm, so i kept okay. trying to write down questions but there was a point where i just had to say can you give me a moment i just need to brainstorm some ideas because i just explained the the situation and then we ended up knotting together like a 45 minute episode but uh, it worked out in the end but again it was a lesson learned what I learned from that is I have to over prepare questions and I have to have backup Mm -hmm. questions so that in the event that I do run out of questions I have these bog standard questions I can kind of fall back to so yeah like I said only anytime you screw up and it's the same for anything in Uh, business or life if you screw up just accept that you screwed up learn from it and see if you can fix that rather than keep making that same mistake again because i've I've just found with the podcast in particular every episode like sometimes i have people say ian the peas are really harsh do you have a pop filter and i'm like yeah i do have a pop filter i don't know understand why and i end up just watching youtube videos to find out am i using my microphone correctly and then I found out I wasn't using my microphone correctly and I changed the way I set oh, it up I and I was able to improve the audio and I just tried to gradually improve uh, everything I I do with with each episode and that's kind of been my approach to anything within my career. Like anytime I know that I screw up, I just accept that I've gone wrong and I just try to improve the the next time I do it. Man, what a journey. Like there's so much <laughs> so much stuff in this episode. Like, you know, my next question I was going to ask you to share your worst moment in your creative journey, but you kind of shared so many uh <laughs> moments that kind of do you have maybe like a client uh moment? I'd say probably yeah, probably one of the worst things I had was um so I went freelance and uh, well, part-time freelance. So previously the person that needed to deal with the client was an account manager and I needed to deal with the client in this case. And I I just, I've been really fortunate that each time, like 95% of the time when I work with a client, they are amazing. I present them something, they're happy with it. It all gets signed off, we finish it, wrap wrap up the project and the projects are normally easy. But I had this one 
particular instance where um i i try to work quite strategic strategically can't say that word um and um so at the beginning at the beginning of the project i would i would work out a list of goals for the project so what we're trying to work towards so i understand who they are as a business who their target audience are uh what kind of offering they have and i also make sure to find out any preferences that they might have because whether you like it or not at the end of the day the client is the one that needs to agree it and if they do have some kind of uh, perceived expectation i think it's worth knowing that from the outset so i um found out what he wanted and i put some designs together and then i presented it and basically he hated everything um oh, and then he yeah. sent over uh, lots of different links to different things of the type of thing that he's wanting and i will be honest i was quite confused because what he wanted conflicted against what I, I felt he needed so i mean in terms of what i felt he needed um it was something that would be for weddings so like the the primary target audience is people like a uh, wedding photography and i felt it needed to be something quite elegant and something that would work for that audience he wanted something very retro and very trendy and very, I mean, I struggled to pinpoint what it was, but we had this conversation and um, he even said, I'm happy for you to put some quick mock-ups together because he he made it very clear that he's happy to see work in progress. And I never show work in progress to anyone, but in this particular case, I thought, you know what, I think it would be beneficial just to mock some stuff up quickly and to kind of find out if this would be the right direction to take it. So I spent about a day working on these things, put lots of ideas together. I, I, I don't think I've ever put that much time into a project because I worked on so many different possible variants. And then I presented it and he just came back with this such rude email. Um, Ouch. Basically said, I'm incompetent. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm um, not worth the amount I'm charging. I clearly don't know what I'm doing. He just literally just grilled me. And wow. um, I was tired. And yeah, that literally made me cry. And, and like, I just I just felt really deflated. And we just agreed. I mean, I'd, I felt like that was quite early for him to be like that because I was just trying to understand what he was looking for and he was not being helpful he was he was good in the end he agreed that he, he i can keep the 50 percent, but he, we just parted ways but it was such an unpleasant experience i'd never worked with anyone so nasty and i just learned a few lessons from that so when he first approached me he did explain he's tried designing this himself a number of times because he's obviously quite creative himself it was a, a photographer they tried doing it themselves. And I think what the problem was is they couldn't find a solution themselves. And I was probably providing solutions that were similar to what he was coming up with. And he was probably expecting something different. So I've, I found personally, when someone has a very clear expectation of what they want, they are the worst clients to work with. <laughs> really? Um, because what you tend to find is that they know exactly what they want. They don't care about anyone else's ideas. They just want what's in their head. And that's fine if they can articulate and show you what they want, which some people can. But if they can't do that, they just get frustrated because they're treating you like an art worker. And I, I prefer to work with people who approach me knowing that they have a problem and I find a solution for them and that's been much more pleasant and and also whenever there's a, I I found from that experience that it's not my fault because I know that I'm doing a good job I just find it's it's better if you do have any friction with a client like that that it's better just to give them their money back and just move on it's not worth it like if they are a horrible person and anyone who's a graphic designer it's, it's inevitable that you're going to work with someone that's probably not going to be that nice you can try and smell them out when you're in the sales process which i tried to do i tried to weed those people out but right. when so they do slip through the net i don't know if you've had the same experience but most oh, yeah. people that are oh, freelance yeah. they're going to have some nasty person at some point so i don't know there's there's other i've had other bad things happen but generally it's similar situations it's just not nice to be told that you're incompetent and that you're not doing a good job um, because 
yeah, maybe I maybe I did screw up. I shouldn't have shown him uh, work in progress. I think that's what he was referring to. But yeah, he was out of order, to be honest. <laughs> no, definitely. What about your confidence? Did, did it hurt your confidence? Well, yeah, it did because I was thinking, did I do something wrong? Where did I go wrong? Is my work not good enough? And I did start thinking maybe it isn't good enough. But then I need to also think, all of my other clients always agree and are always happy and I get really good testimonials. And yeah, it did It did knock me, me back at that time. I, I felt really deflated after that. And I just remember, I just felt angry and upset and like I just didn't really know what to do, to be honest. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just ended up moving on and I did try to do one more design for him and send it over, but he just ignored my email just oh, wow. just a very rude unpleasant nasty person and i'm Jeez. just glad that that project is over yeah i always tell myself when i deal with people like that i always tell myself that you know hurting people hurt others so he's probably hurting yeah. there's probably something else that's you know on his shoulders that he, yeah he yeah can't shake yeah off, that's so. a good way of looking at it because there's obviously some other frustrations that he possibly had in his life and Probably marriage, kids, family. Yeah, work. Like, there's probably something else. Yeah, it's a good way of looking at that. Like if you read the seven habits of a highly successful yeah, person, that's actually that one. one of the things in there. So it's a good it's a good way to look at that. But when you're in that place, it's hard to definitely. We you still have to deal with it. Yeah. No, I understand. It's, it's uh, that's for that reason alone. Like dealing with clients, I'm like, dude, I'm I just don't want to deal with any more clients. <laughs> I'm done <laughs> yeah. with clients. Because, man, sometimes it just goes south and then just the relationship, you, especially when you get close to people and they become your close friends and then yeah. it becomes personal. Anyway, it's just, it, it, it can take a turn big time. Now, let's transition yeah, I to do, something. I do. Yeah, sure. Let's talk about something more yeah, positive. Yeah, let's talk about something more positive. <laughs> let's talk about your best moment in the creative field. Okay. I've been trying to think of lots of different things. So, I mean, there's the obvious things that come up. So, when you get, like something printed that feeling of when you get a printed brochure and it comes that's always amazing but i think the one that kind of sticks out is so there was a time when i just started logo geek and i started on posting on social media and my following's growing and i get this call at work so that was when i worked full time i had a call on my phone and it was some international number uh from texas or somewhere like that and i'm like what is that? And I just ignored it <laughs> because I'm not picking up that. It's probably some spam or something. And a voicemail was left. And I'm like, I wonder what that is. So I took my phone, popped out the office, listened to the voicemail. And <laughs> that telephone call, it was from Bill Gardner. And at that time, I knew Bill Gardner. I used to watch his training courses and oh. um, I knew his trend report and stuff like that. Like I was very well aware of him. So I almost dropped my phone because it was like <laughs> getting this call from a rock star. And um, he said something along the lines that he, he loves what I'm doing and uh, he's got a, prof a proposition for me and um, he'd love to get my thoughts on something. And if I'm available to have a chat with him and, and I'm like, whoa, what is this? <laughs> and uh, yeah, in the evening, I was really excited. I um, worked out a time to call him, called him back. Um, I knew it was going to cost a fortune for my mobile phone, but I thought, you know what, this this must be it's something good. <laughs> so I spoke with him and um, you know how he has the books that come out every year. The next book was due to come out and he was looking for a jury of people. And um, I'd not long signed up to Logo Loud and I thought, you know, maybe it would be cool to get some work in the book. <laughs> and um, he invited me to be on the jury. So he picks wow. eight people from around the world that he thinks are, you know, either leaders in the Logo design space or are up and comers. And he obviously saw me as an up and comer, which is amazing. And he invited me to be on that. And it was just such a rewarding experience to be able to just have a chat with someone that you've idolized for a long time, you need know, to be able to speak to him on the phone to, um, to actually realize that posting every day. So at that, at that time, I, I just started tweeting every single morning and I'd be waking up at like half six in the morning. And the first thing I did was post a tweet. So it was nice to know that that effort actually got noticed and 
I got that opportunity and I don't know, it was just so amazing to be able to get to know Bill, to have conversations with him on the phone, to actually judge the entries for that and then for the book to come out and at the front of the book is like a little bio about me and, you know, and I'm alongside other people in the industry. That's um, so cool. I bet that was super yeah it was super very special. surreal and it was so it was so it's such an exciting opportunity and uh, and bill is absolutely amazing like anyone that he pulls in to to help with this he sends them random gifts so like he sent me a, a boss speaker <laughs> for christmas oh, really? which is really cool nice. that, that year so and also i he sent a copy of the book all signed and stuff with a you know nice note in it but that, that was just mind-blowing and you know it's one of the things that kind of push me to keep doing social media stuff because there's you get these opportunities that come up now and again but they don't come up if you don't do those things and I don't know it's just such a an amazing experience it was such an exciting moment for me and um, yeah I'm really proud of that book and I've been places like Bangkok and you go into a bookstore and it's like oh this logo like I'm gonna get this out to everybody that has got me in this book um but yeah that was a really special moment for me and I, I don't think bill has any idea it's like that first call was like getting a call from a rock star and it's nice <laughs> to genuinely say that he's a friend now we've spoken quite a lot over the that years awesome. since man your journey is so amazing man. i love how you didn't <laughs> run from your problems but instead you dealt with them you know and a lot of people it's yeah. a, just a great example to people listening that everyone's facing some problems we all have mountains you know giants yeah, that we're does. facing but yeah. it's it's uh it, a lot of times those giants and those mountains can make you better if you actually work on yourself. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think that's the most important thing is that you actually need to acknowledge that it's gone wrong and and you can improve it. So anything in life, whether it's you know personal or, or work wise, if you can acknowledge that it's gone wrong, and you can come up with a way to avoid that situation going wrong again, mm-hmm. you know, and just learn from your experiences. Right you can achieve anything i think no that's so true and uh, i like this uh, his his name is jim Rohn, and i like how he, his quote he always said life gets better when you get better and so true you know instead of yeah. trying to change the yeah, world it change you and yeah. when you change yourself yeah. your income will change your projects will change yeah. everything will change for you so that's so true now we have a, a lot of people listening that are youngsters they're either in college or high school they're about to graduate what advice would you give to someone who wants to get in your field right now either in college or in high school Okay, um, so w- what I think um, students really need to focus on and what really matters is your portfolio. So the most important thing that you have is what you're able to present because no one has any idea what you are capable of doing if they can't see it. Like you can have the most amazing CV, but in the design space, your portfolio is what matters. And even if you've got rubbish grades or or whatever, if you have an amazing portfolio, you're likely to get some kind of opportunity because, you know, if you've got the talent there, people will want that and, and need that. So put a portfolio together, keep it very simple, show the work. So don't, um, like what's quite trendy at the moment. Say if you, you, create a website people put them on these mock-ups and it's this tiny little thing on this big image actually show that website people want to see it even if you don't feel like your work is amazing still present it anyway because i've like when you're looking for a junior graphic designer you know that they don't have any experience yet but what you're looking for is someone that you feel can be nurtured so you know that they're not necessarily going to be able to do the work from from the beginning but if you're able to show that you are able to think through projects and solve problems and um that you've got some basic understanding of the software that is all beneficial and that's what people want to see because people are looking for people that they can work with and they can nurture so show your work be honest with it show a true representation of what you're capable of doing don't try to be better than what you are like just be real I've seen people that I worked with do something that I don't think was actually very good and then they put it in their portfolio and they modify it so much that and they present it in such a way that it looks incredible but I, I don't think it's a true representation of what they're capable of doing and it's false when you come to actually work with them 
So be real with your portfolio, present your Good work. Advice, um, yeah. Another thing I would say is that when you talk about your work, be positive about it. <laughs> because I had this one guy, um, because I, I sometimes need to employ people for the team that I work with. I had this guy, he came in, he brought in lots of different pieces. He basically packed his portfolio and we got to this one piece and he literally said, oh, that's not very good and then flipped the page. And I just said to him, why didn't you take it out? And it just felt really awkward. And, and what I think is better is I've seen people present their work and I've thought that's not very good. And then they talk through it passionately and enthusiastically and explain how they solve the problem and their enthusiasm and the way that they're talking through their work makes you think oh my god that's amazing at the end of it you suddenly realize the problem that they was faced what was there previously and and how they was able to solve that so how you present your work and how you talk about your work is just as important as the work itself as well um to think of other advice i would show the type of work that you want to do so if you hate doing web design work, don't show web design work, show you what you want to do. <laughs> because I've mm. found that people hire you based on what they see. So if they see loads of web design work in your portfolio and no print, they're going to hire you to do web design work, even though you want to do print. <laughs> I've literally gone for job interviews because I want to get out of the. I wanted to get out of the web design space, and I wanted to do more print. But all that was in my portfolio was print stuff. And the woman said to me, "Oh, we'd love to do more web design work. Maybe you would be." And it was so demoralizing. And and what I learned from that is that if I did want a print-based job, what would have been better to have done would have been to create some fictional projects put them in my portfolio, present that and take the web web stuff out. Because generally people, even friends and family that know exactly what you're capable of doing, the work that you show is what they think that you can do. Because I'm in a situation now where everyone just thinks I only do logo design, even though I've got like 10 years worth of experience working on ex- exhibition work, web design work, print-based work. It's, it's funny. if you What you show is what people think you're capable of doing. That's great advice. It's great advice even for me. I, I didn't think about that, but now it makes perfect yeah. sense. Now, last couple of questions. What's coming up yeah, for you? Sure. Oh, Jesus. Um, okay, so I'm, I'm basically in a really good place uh, uh, now because I've, I'm quite comfortable working part-time. I like that uh, variety. Um, so I, I work part-time at an agency uh, just three days and then the rest of the time I uh, work on my own stuff. So that situation, I'm still very comfortable with that, even though I am at a point where I could actually go full time. I plan to continue working on the podcast. So I've, I've secured a sponsor for next year. So I'm going to be doing a fourth season, which I'll start recording very soon. I am also hopefully planning to, fingers crossed, make time to write a book and do a training course as well, because I think that would be really good as part of the ecosystem I'm building. Because one of the problems that I'm finding is that I have a lot of time invested in building a community, but I've been to conferences like entrepreneurial conferences where they present things like funnels. I went to one where John Lee Dumas was speaking and he's shown this funnel of how you get these people in, you run through a funnel, and then at the end of the funnel is this product. <laughs> and I basically got this whole ecosystem around Logo Geek where people come in, but they're, I've got this whole funnel, but there is no product. And um, I'm quite aware that I need to build some kind of product. And I think what would make sense to do would be some kind of training course or book or some kind of material so that people can learn and improve. And uh, I think it's something that I want to do for me. So I, I'd like to write a book because it's one of my goals. It's one of the things on my bucket list. So I'd like to do that anyway. And I think it makes sense to do that now. So I do have a rough plan in place, but because it doesn't make money now, it's really hard to make time for it. Cause I keep like my podcast makes money, my projects make money and it's hard to justify time for something that just doesn't make anything yet. But that is something I do really want to work on. Um, but yeah, it's just a case of carrying on as I am, keep working on the projects, try and get bigger, better projects. I keep trying to improve my website because uh, 
my website when I first started was just a hack just to kind of get going, but I've been gradually improving that. So it's just a case of just carrying on as I am and gradually improving things. And because I'm saying it now, I have to do it. But yeah, I, I really right. do want to put together either a, a book or a training course to help people learn logo design. Sweet, man. And the last question, how can people get in touch with you? Okay, so probably the easiest thing to do is to head over to logogeek.uk or you can find me on Twitter, which is logo underscore geek. And also I'm quite active in the Logo Geek Facebook community. So if you just, if you go to logogeek.uk forward slash community, it's um, it's a link that we're 301 redirect to the community. But yeah, you just search Logo Geek online and uh, you'll find me online. <laughs> All right, Ian. Well, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us, man. I appreciate it. No worries. It's been really fun chatting with you. I appreciate you getting in touch and uh, for having me on the guest. And uh, I also appreciate everyone for taking the time to listen to this as well. So brilliant. It's been really fun. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it on social media. I'd also be very grateful if you could rate, review, and subscribe to Ucromedia Podcast on iTunes. That all helps a lot in ranking the show and it would be greatly appreciated. And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to email me at vladimir at ucromedia.com. And as always, don't forget to join our online mentoring group on Facebook. Simply go to ucomedia.com slash community. We have well over 2,500 talented people in this group. It is a great online resource for those of you trying to grow. And it's absolutely free. Thank you so much for joining me on the journey of this podcast. I appreciate you and I look forward to serving you in the next episode of the Ucomedia Podcast. Bye-bye.